Homeless Link is the national membership charity for frontline homelessness services. We work to improve services through research, guidance and learning, and campaign for policy change that will ensure everyone has a place to call home and the support they need to keep it. In this podcast, we will explore how services and individuals can improve the way they work and support people who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. In each episode, we will speak to a guest who will tell us about their work and the lessons they've learned along the way. We hope you enjoy it. In the next two episodes, we'll be speaking to Nick Maguire from the University of Southampton about the value of relationships and what we can do in order to build relationships with the people we work with. I'm Lauren, Youth Homelessness Lead at Homeless Link, and I'll be hosting. Great. Okay. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Let's start off with uh, introducing you. Please, can you introduce yourself? So, I'm Nick McGuire. I'm an Associate Professor in Clinical Psychology at the University of Southampton, but I also wear another hat in that I, I direct a, a company called OCH, and we deliver um, bespoke psychology services for people who are homeless. Amazing. And how did you sort of start that work? Can you tell us a bit more about it? So the um, the, the company work, it's a, it's a social enterprise, and that's very important as part of the mo- uh, model. So taking, you know, what's all good about business and applying it to um, making use of those um, structures and, and processes, uh, but with a social mission in mind. And so... We are explicitly not for profit, um, which means that you know we uh, have a high degree of transparency around all the kind of the financial processes and the all of the processes that we have in terms of running the company. So we started that about oh what about 2012, so about 10 years, nearly 10 years now, and it sort of sat in abeyance um, for a fair amount of time. We delivered a little bit through of training through it, but in 2015-16 we sort of it took off with um, working with Basingstoke and were working, um, designing some psychology services for working with the people in Basingstoke. So individuals, but also the hostels and also um, housing offices, um, as well as kind of you know, working into and with uh, some of the other agencies in, in Basingstoke. And from there, we started to get um, Public Health England and um, communities and housing contracts uh, in Southampton and Portsmouth and, and other places, and our sleepers initiative got contracts. So that's allowed us to set up a, a, a quite a nice network of psychology services in the region, um, and we pair that with the university. So it's a really nice symbiotic relationship with the university, where the, the the social enterprise can work and gather data on how effective we are, and then that's handed to the university where. We could, the, that data can be used and processed for research purposes as well as evaluation purposes. And so that then informs our theory, our theories as to why our interventions are effective or not effective. And so we can refine those and then feed those back into social enterprise and, and continually refine the, uh, our practice. And hopefully with, you know, effectiveness in mind. Amazing. So we're here today to talk about the sort of importance of relationships within support services and how those relationships can help people access services, help them achieve what they want to achieve. And this is in the context of a series of episodes that sort of focus around positive approaches or relationship-based approaches and well-being. So I, my first question is, how would you define mental health or mental well-being specifically? 
That's really, it's really interesting. So um, I'll stick to well-being if that's okay. And sometimes we make the mistake of defining it as a sort of an absence of ill-being. So, you know, if you're if you're well, then you're just not ill, or you there's no threats to your well-being. But I think it's it probably more usefully defined as as well. The way I might define it is being able to behave in the service of values. So having a certain amount of um, satisfaction about what you do day to day, whether that's in your personal life or your professional life or any other part of your life. And so kind of well-being starts to be about um, being able to do what you want to do with your life at any given given time. And then the kind of the emotional stuff that follows from that. And, and so conversely, when there's a lack of well-being, it's, it's when you can't do that or when the environment the kind of or aspects of your environment conspire to um, prevent you from behaving in the service of what you want to be doing um, with your life or, or like. Now we could get into sort of a lot of detail about how we um, get into things like um, negative evaluation. So if you think other people think negatively of you, you know, that was going to threaten your well-being if you think negatively of other people, etc. But I think it's probably usefully left at that high level of your fear of well-being and and is, is being able to do the things that you value in life as one approach. Thank you. So my next question is about what we see as relationships. And we came to this episode to think about how safe and buffering, safe relationships can sort of buffer against heightened states of anxiety, and you know traumatic experiences and yeah heightened states so i'd like to hear more about what you see relationships as being able to do uh within support services but before we get to that if could you define what you would say is a relationship how do you define a relationship yes interesting so I guess I'm a big fan of evolutionary psychology and kind of trying to reduce things to some of the kind of the component parts. And that's just, that's just one way of approaching things like um, the concept of relationships. Um, Others will have very, very different ways of thinking about it. But the way I would conceptualize it is that, um, is that we're inherently social animals. We've spent seven, eight, nine million years evolving as social animals and with social groups and and so groups survive partly because of the relationships and and sustained relationships within those groups and so that kind of survives in terms of modern humans in terms of um uh it could be all sorts of things like you know family groups and family relationships friendship relationships collegial relationships they all have slightly different qualities but it's something one of the key things that i think is around it is something about trust so it's something about safety and something about a good relationship being with somebody that you would trust. In other words, you don't think they're going to behave to your detriment. They're going to generally be behaving to your betterment. They're going to be behaving in the service of you and you then. So you might like them. You might have an affinity. If it's really close family, there might be a kind of attachment, um, which we'll maybe talk about a little later to them. But, but the kind of the quality of relationships vary. And, and they, they vary in evolutionary in an evolutionary sense. So we've evolved to feel you know very close to certain people in family and friends, and then the more distant we you, we get from their very close relationships, maybe those kind of qualities um, 
will vary depending on who they are. So there's something about trust, there's something about affinity, there's something about liking, all these things, you know, I think uh, um, contribute to what we might then call relationships. And for me, relationships are, uh, are best, or I prefer to think of the term relationship as, as between people. So uh, people kind of relate to each other. Some people will, you know, talk about relationships with things or objects or whatever, but but my preference is to think about relationships as uh, as between people, or or you know we might express also relationships with pets because uh, we you know we we have a liking affinity for um, dogs and cats and the like. But but you know something about living people, living living beings. What I'm really picking up on from what you're saying is that it is a dynamic thing. So it's about Absolutely. one person and another person and the exchange between them, which you wouldn't necessarily have with an object, for example. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think you've sort of covered some of the beginnings of why relationships might be important. It's something that has, you know, it's how we've evolved and how we connect but is there anything else you can say about why relationships are important between people i think um again going back to uh, uh, you know how we've evolved as hominids uh, attachment is a key part of relationships and um ever since all the 50s and 60s with uh, john bowlby's work and mary ainsworth's work we've, we've started and we started we think about refining uh, the the concept of attachment and the theories of attachment. And um, I really like um, some of the kind of the, the modern theories, particularly some, some of those which look back to how we've evolved and the, the kind of the evolutionary function of attachment. Um, but certainly some of this stuff around learning about a predictor that the world is predictable, that you're going to get predictable care, that you're going to be safe because there's somebody looking after your needs as a sort of a, an infant, and how that then plays out in adult life is really important. And then, of course, the you know the converse of that when you don't learn that people are reliably there for you or will re reliably care for you, and so you don't know learn that the world is a safe place, and you don't learn that you are worth caring for, and and you don't learn things like um, emotion regulation. There's a lovely theory around attachment being an emotion regulation process. So. In our evolutionary past, pre-language, um, you needed a, some mechanism which drives proximity between the mother and the young. In our evolutionary past, it would always be the mother, of course. And, and, so, and, and, and so that process is around emotion. So if mother and young are separated, it drives emotions and drive anxiety, particularly in both of them, until, which then will drive the behaviour, particularly the mum, or the child will cry, the mum will go and respond. And, and that's an emotional regulation process so both then feel uh, much calmer when they have proximity so you can sort of think about attachment as, as an evolutionary process that drives proximity between young uh, mother and young mother and, and uh, offspring which which therefore means that the offspring are more likely to survive they're less likely to be predated on now of course we then um we then sort of you know express all sorts of nuances around that nowadays and we can talk about when things don't go right and when maybe a child doesn't learn that, uh, that it's going to be safe and it's going to get reliable care, what then, how then that's manifest in adult life. 
and very broadly we sort of talk about anxious attachment and and avoid detachment as, as forms of insecure attachment i mean there's all sorts of theories and they vary a little in terms of these things but there's something about anxious attachment and the worry about um whether somebody's going to be consistently there for them and consistently and reliably caring for them and and that anxiety can sometimes drive behaviors which actually kind of can sometimes drive those people away and an avoidant attachment which can often be about completely avoiding any kind of relationships with people um, and sometimes because it makes no sense if they've never had a close relationship well that makes no sense to me there's no emotion regulation there there's no there's no kind of warmth that I feel or and or it can be sort of a chronic reaction to being let down and so a kind of a complete avoidance and over time that becomes total avoidance and we we can start to see both of those things in uh, for in terms of some in people's experiences so particularly within homes uh, people who are homeless sometimes people completely avoid all services and they can spend a lot of time you know completely disenfranchised from services maybe on the street or maybe in other things and, and more more specifically people whereas others perhaps you know they might want to engage with people but continue, uh, continually fear rejection and when you build things like you know the difficulty in calming yourself down which we've got we call emotion regulation and things like impulsivity and and a very negative beliefs about sort of self and others you can start to see where some of the complexity of people's experience uh, and when they've experienced this kind of what we call complex trauma uh, comes about, you know, where the, the people who are supposed to be caring for you are the very people who are maybe tra- causing trauma in, in terms of neglect and abuse and the like, and how that then plays out in life. So following on from that, I think you've covered how relationships are important in early life and that emotional regulation. And I think... I'd like to talk to you about how relationships are important, particularly within services that are providing support to people and specifically people who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. And you've sort of mentioned how complex trauma can play into that, but we're also, and these things are interlinked, but talking about people who've been socially excluded um, and often have uh, long-term experiences of that social exclusion um, and a lack of trusting relationships, whether that's with individuals or systems. And I think there's also a lot of fear around, or historically has been around, forming meaningful relationships because of this concept that someone might become too attached to a worker or a service and what I'd really like to hear more about is your opinion around that and actually why relationships are a sort of integral basis to be working towards in homelessness settings or other support settings. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the things we, we you know, can't avoid is, is interpersonal contact where you could, you can go and live on a mountain somewhere or in the woods or whatever and, and completely avoid people as much as possible. But we, we've evolved as social animals and, and social contacts are a really important part of human experience. And of course, so when we have people who perhaps sort of start to, um, to who perhaps engage in hostels and are engaging other people and staff, those relationships can be crucial. Now, if somebody hasn't had a, um, an experience of um, 
reliable care, then they're naturally going to be very suspicious about others uh, in whatever setting they are, they're continually letting them down. And, and of course, we work within systems um, which govern the way in which people behave. So employment systems often um, you know, mean that people drift in and out of employment or they move into an employment in one place and then they might move on. And that's, 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 about, that's the world of work. So arguably that's kind of a system or a structure within which you work. And that's going to impact on the way in which relationships are manifest and the way in which relationships go. So one of the, uh, one of the things I, always, I, I quite like asking is, is uh, when people have recovered or are in recovery, you know, what is, is there any one thing that you can, you can place? Or what, where, is there a time the way you kind of that you remember that's been formative in your recovery and more often than not people will say well there was this one person and I was horrible to them you know I really was but they stuck around and they stuck by me they were and they were reliable they continually cared it, it doesn't matter what I did you know they I and I remember that experience and they may not have told ever told that person that that this person the, the relationship is really important but it was and they recall it, they remember it as being important. And having that one reliable person uh, who, you know, despite their best efforts to get rid of them, continually stuck by them and maintained a, you know, a, a relentless compassion, that seems to be really important to people. And so this concept of sort of, you know, over-alliance, uh, I, I don't really buy into. I think that those reliable, longer-term relationships are massively important, and there are opportunities to do that within hostels. Now, having said that, given that we are working within structures, and uh, work structures sometimes involve people leaving and moving on, the best services I've seen are where that's prepared for. And so that you, if you do know as a worker that you've got a good relationship working with somebody, then you work with them to help wind that down, to make the ending as good as possible, make the ending a good one. And that involves a lot of discussion and talking a bit about and processing that stuff. It really doesn't work when somebody who's got a good relationship just then, it just finishes, they, you know, they go. Now, often one of the things I've seen is when, when people um, know that maybe a, 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 somebody who they have a good relationship with is leaving, they'll just suddenly, suddenly shut off because that's a hard thing to deal with. But that then needs the kind of the relentless compassion of the staff member to not let that person just go, but help them to process it and make it as good an ending as possible, which could be formative for the future. Now, that sometimes depends on whether you know that you've got a good relationship and you might not. People not, might not signal to you that you have that, you know, that, that they do trust you. They are finding you reliable. But, it, but if we do behave in a reliable way, if we do what we say we're going to do as much as we possibly can for people, then there's an opportunity there for that person to, to learn a different model of people. The model of people that they might already have is that people are unreliable, they leave you, they don't care about you, they punish you. You know, they're pretty, they, 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 they re-traumatise you. But if there's one person, if we're able to just to model a very different form of relationship, within kind of hospitality and hospitality environments or any um, environments, then that might be something that that person then says later on when somebody asks them about recovery, yeah, it was that one person and they, they stayed with me.
that's really interesting um and i like what you're saying about endings and managing those as positive things or as positive as they can be and i think thinking about relationships um endings are scary in whatever context uh and we sort of avoid them and it sort of makes sense to be thinking and framing around that potential ending in whatever way that looks like so why other than thinking about how to phrase this question what why why do we bother though um obviously it's great that um this you know relate we know the value of relationships but why why bother what are we trying to achieve through building relationships with people i think it comes down to um change so why are we working with people why do we get up every day well because possibly sometimes not very often sometimes it might be that some of the work that i can do with somebody results in them engaging in change now, I'm, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not required to produce change in people, and that's a very important part of change. But it could be that through just working in a reliable way, their experience of people changes. And they learn that pe they can trust people, that people, not everybody is out to behave to their cost, to exploit them or to um, make them objects or to get them to do their, their own bidding. But maybe there are some people who... Who, who are actually out to, to help them make their lives better. Now, the other thing we often talk about is um, a process called validation. So validation is just about showing that somebody else's internal world is, is valid. It's, it's okay. It's right. You know, their internal world is, is, is appropriate. Um, and it matters. And we do that by talking to people and most importantly, listening to people and perhaps recognizing that they have an emotional state and that those emotions are entirely appropriate. Um, sometimes we might validate emotions, but perhaps not behaviors. Maybe there are some behaviors that, that people engage in, particularly when they're angry, perhaps, that are then to their detriment. But, it, but the emotion underpins it, that's, that's always got to be right, or if for them in some sense. And of course, the relationship is part of that. It, it, so validation is part of a relationship what you're doing is you're listening to somebody and you're listening to what they're saying about their experience in their internal world and you're not judging them and you're not telling them it's in some way wrong and you're not instructing them to do it better or to fix it in some way you're just listening you're validating now one of the things that we often talk about um, is is validation being at the foundation for change if if somebody trusts you they might trust the kind of things that you're saying and the kind of things that you're talking about in terms of change, well, you know, through a discursive process. So talking a little bit about what they're doing, what they'd like to be doing rather than what they are doing and not telling them, but just asking, gently inquiring about, you know, what they'd really like to be doing if, if they weren't doing the things that, that are getting them evicted or getting arrested or whatever. What would they really like to be doing and how would they like to be start to do that? Now, if I have no relationship, then I'm just some muppet turning up asking daft questions. If I do have a relationship and, and I've listened and, we've, and, and there's a degree of trust there, then maybe those questions might be a little bit more meaningful and it might cause the person to maybe question some of the things that they're doing and maybe even let 
he helped them through some of the more difficult intrapersonal processes. So we talk about intrapersonal processes going on inside and interpersonal processes going on between people. And they might help, you know, they might enable me to help them to make a few suggestions or to help them discover how they're going to calm themselves down in particular situations rather than going to a bottle or to a needle or, or shouting and screaming at somebody, if that's one of the problems. So the, the, the relationship is the kind of the foundation for trust and it might, that's why somebody might listen to some of the things that I've got. Now, one of the, the things that we run is a, a peer mentorship process within OCH. And that's really, really important because there are people who, who, are experts by, who are experts by experience, of course, have experiential knowledge. That that person maybe is likely, should, could key into maybe a little more speedy. As a professional, what the hell do I know? However, but if you're an expert by experience, you've already got some of that knowledge. And if, you're, you, know, if you want to sit and listen to somebody, there's already a kind of a, a maybe a sort of a head start there in terms of that relationship. Because, you know, if you know, if you've been there, you already know some of the things I've been through. And it's harder for, for, for you, for that person to dismiss what the peer's got because the peer's been there. And that, we note, is, a, is an important process, that kind of experiential knowledge process. Again, you know, it's, it's partly down to some form of trust and the trust which emerges through a positive relationship. Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with the latest goings on at Homeless Link, please follow us on Twitter at Homeless Link. If you're interested in training and development opportunities for yourself, your team, or your organisation, get in touch by emailing training at homelesslink.org.uk. We have a range of courses that help staff and organisations develop the skills needed to tackle current issues and improve services.